When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. Have you read a book recently that really resonated with you and makes you want to read more books like it? If so, submit a read-alike request to me through the Google form included in today's show notes and tell me why you loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads on a future Tuesday episode. If you are interested in reading some great books before they publish, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group to access digital early reads and pre-pub author chats as well as my new Traveling Galley program. For May, my early read selection is Banyan Moon by Tao Tai. For June, The Bones of the Story by Carol Goodman. And for July, The Book of Silver Linings by Nan Fisher. The link to join is in my show notes. Today, for this behind-the-scenes episode, Kristen Cusick-Lewis joins me to talk about her role as contributing books editor for Real Simple. Kristen is the best-selling author of four novels, Perfect Happiness, Half of What You Hear, Save Me, and how lucky you are. She is also the contributing books editor for Real Simple Magazine, where she handles the magazine's book coverage for the audience of over 6 million monthly readers. Kristen curates the magazine's books page, working with publicity teams and editors across the publishing industry to handpick and feature five new releases each month. She previously held editing positions at publications, including Glamour and Child, and is a well-established freelance writer who has written for dozens of publications over the past 25 years. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading. Welcome, Kristen. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm great as well, and I'm so glad you're joining me for this behind-the-scenes episode. I cannot wait to talk about your role at Real Simple. Thank you for having me. So you are the contributing books editor for Real Simple Magazine, where you handle the magazine's book coverage for an audience of over 6 million monthly readers. I cannot wait to hear all about it. Thank you. It's a really fun job. I bet it is. Well, let's start from the beginning. How did you get started in this role? 
So I started in Real Simple. I actually started in the magazine industry um, in the mid-1990s. I started my career at Glamour Magazine. Um, I worked in magazines for many years and then started writing my own books. And I've written four novels. So when I started writing my fiction, I took a step back from the magazine work for a while. And then in 2020, uh, my fourth book came out and I was talking to an old friend who was the executive editor at Real Simple at the time, trying to do some of my own book publicity. And she mentioned that their books editor had recently left. And I said, well, I'd love to throw my hat into the ring. So it's been a bit of a perfect marriage between my magazine career and my fiction writing career that I get to now cover books. Well, that has to be so exciting and so much fun every month to pick five reads. And that's one of the questions for you. Most months you pick five reads, but sometimes you do seasonal picks as well. How does all of that work? So the way that it works, I'm very happy to say as a reader that uh, the readers of the magazine are huge bookworms. They love books. And we know from when we do internal surveys of the magazine's pages, which is something very typical of a magazine, is that they'll have somebody come in and do sort of blind read reader surveys of each page. The books page is one of the most highly rated pages in the magazine, which is great. Um, So our readers love to read. And we know that they love uh, literary fiction. They love historical fiction. They love suspense. They love memoir. So we try to do a mix of genres and um, a mix of authors as well. So we don't want to cover five blockbuster bestselling authors. We want to cover debut authors as well. We want to cover people from a variety of backgrounds. So when I'm looking at um, each month's column, I start about four months ahead. So for instance, it's May 1st now when we're talking and I just finished my September column. And so I start out looking at everything that's coming out in a particular month. And I probably start with a list of 40 to 50 books And I just whittle it down from there based on what might make the best mix. And I talk to publicists at the different publishers all day long. And I read a ton, of course. I read everything that goes into the magazine. And I look at trade reviews. And so then I narrow it down to, for the typical column, which is five books, I will pitch seven or eight with my top five. And then I send it off to my editor, the executive editor and the editor in chief. And we sort of by committee decide which five are going to make the cut. Now, because the page is so popular, we've been able to expand it to two pages a few times a year, which is wonderful to be able to feature more books because it's not easy to narrow it down to those five. I wish it could cover a lot more. Well, you've actually touched on a number of my questions. And so I will dive into some of them and hopefully we can talk more in depth about some of it. Every month you do five. And then for the season, because I think I recently saw your summer seasonal one. I looked back on your Instagram page. You had a fall seasonal one. You will highlight some upcoming reads for a particular season. Is that right? So it's, yeah, it's still based on the month. So like it often happens. So for the summer issues, if we do a combined July, August issue, which is typical of the industry, then we'll make that summer reading. But it's really based on the publication date of the books. Um, And not so much seasonal. Okay. Well, that makes sense then. And your five reads that you pick, do they come out, all of them in that particular month? So you said you just turned in September. Are all five books coming out sometime in September? 
Yeah. So what we want to do is the magazine typically comes out two weeks ahead of time before a new month starts, a new calendar month. So for instance, the May issue came out on April 17th. So the books I'll look at for the May issue are either released in mid-April into mid-May, sometimes late May. But if it was a late May book, I might push it to June because I want our readers to be able to get their hands on the books. That said, I'm not opposed to including a book for a particular month that has a later publication date because I know as an author how important pre-orders are. Um, And I also know as a reader how much people love to get their TBR lists up and running for upcoming months. So um, I'm not completely opposed to putting in something that's not quite out yet, but we try to keep it particular to the month as much as we can. So I write for a publication here in Houston that's much, much smaller than Real Simple. But I do a monthly column where I pick my five favorites for the month. And I am the same way. Like I try hard, like if I were working on May, which for me is due in mid-March. So I turn it in mid-March for May's publication. I try not to pick end of the month just because I know people can't get their hands on it. And the magazine's the same way. It comes out a week before the month that it's highlighting. But that's a good point on pre-orders. And I hadn't thought about that. The other thing I sometimes struggle with, and I would assume you're the same way, there are some months like this year, March, had so many fabulous titles. So sometimes I will try to push a few of the March into April, knowing that I just couldn't whittle it down from maybe nine titles. And so I want some of those to push into the next month. Does that happen to you? It happens all the time. And in fact, it just happened with September. So there are, this fall is going to be tremendous for readers. There are so many wonderful books coming out. And so for September, I had three potential historical fiction reads on the list, all by big authors. And that's not much of a mix for our readers who aren't into historical fiction. So I pushed one to October, knowing that I could do that because otherwise the mix wouldn't work. It is hard to strike that balance. And as you mentioned, certain people read thrillers, certain read historical fiction, contemporary fiction. So you don't want to have too many of a type of genre each month. Exactly. And even though they're very different books, one is a book by Zadie Smith, one is Emma Donahue's new book, one is Lauren Groff's new book. They all are historical fiction and they're all big powerhouse heavy hitter authors. So I wanted to be able to give a slot to, say, a debut author or another type of read. Absolutely. Well, what about other parameters? Do you have specific parameters that guide you? You've talked a little bit about a mix of genre and a mix of debut versus well-established authors. Do you have any other parameters that you work within? I do, yeah. So I also try, we really strive to include a diverse variety of voices. So we want people, authors from different backgrounds who are also presenting different ideas. Um, So that's something we take into strong consideration. You know, we don't want five white women or five white men or You know, we occasionally will feature a rom-com that is not from a heterosexual point of view. So we're trying to include as many voices as we possibly can, which I think is reflective of the publishing industry at large is going in that direction as well. It's historically not been particularly diverse. And I think that is changing, which is a good thing. I think so, too. It's much easier to find those titles. It will continue to sometimes be difficult for me in a month, but it is much simpler than it used to be. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Which is great. So you touched on this a little bit, but how do you learn about most upcoming titles? How do you come up with your list of 40 to 50 books for a month? Like where, how do you source that? So it can be everything from, well, I would say the the most common way is that I'm just in touch with the publicists at the various publishing houses who 
send me press releases all I mean, you should see my email inbox is just, I'm sure you struggle with the same thing. I do. So I just keep a running, I'm pretty analog and old school. I keep a running list in a notebook for each month. And as I hear about things that I think might work, I write it down on that list. I also use Library Journal has a wonderful pre-pub alert column. And I go through that after I'm starting my list to make sure I'm not missing anything. I think like a lot of readers, I do what readers do. And I'm friendly with lots of authors on Instagram. So I'll see whose books, you know, might be coming out and I'll jot that down. And then I go from there. I was curious to hear how you were doing it yourself for real simple, but I was also curious to hear how you do it for my own use because I am inundated. And sometimes I'm like, how can I keep up with all of this? And I've tried so many different systems and I still don't feel like I have a very good one. It's difficult because there's just so much and it comes in big waves. And I'm going to have to look up library journals list. I didn't know they had that. Oh, it's wonderful. It's called Pre-Pub Alert and it, it's hugely helpful. And she, it's... um I'm forgetting her last name, but the woman who puts it together, her name is Barbara something. And she keeps a huge list of every genre. And then she compiles it all in one big list at the end of each month. And I go through that just to make sure I'm not missing anything because occasionally I do miss a big book. And then when it comes out and makes a huge splash, I am kicking myself that I didn't see it. That's devastating to me when I miss a big book. So I agree. I hate when that happens. And sometimes I'll be like, I've never heard of this book. And then I'll look back through my emails and I was like, oh, it was actually pitched this book and I just passed. So I really hate that because I'm like, oh, this would have been such a good one to highlight. So yeah. So sometimes actually I go back and pick them up because I have a little bit, I have some flexibility. So if it's a month that's quieter for me, I'll go back and pick it up. But a lot of times there's so many other good things coming out that I can't. So I just have to highlight it elsewhere. Yes. I will give you a perfect example of one that I missed was tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I got the press release and I read it and I thought, video games, that's not really our reader. And I let it go. And then, of course, it was like one of the biggest books of last year. So I was very unhappy with myself for missing that one. It's hard. I mean, there are just so many books coming out. And I think it's getting more and more that way. I mean, I feel like 2023 has been the largest yet. And so I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Susan Rigetti's cover story is the one that got by me. And I ended up loving that book. And people were posting all over Instagram. And I was like, how did I miss this one? And I guess I'm just not a huge con artist person most of the time. But then in the end, it was fabulous. And I was sad I'd missed it. Yes, yes, I know. Isn't that a bummer? But then on the flip side, I don't know if you feel this way, but on the flip side, when one of the big national book clubs like Read with Jenna or Reese's Book Club picks a book that I've picked, I feel validated. So that's good. I agree with that completely. I'm like, oh, I loved that book. And I read it before I knew anybody else was going to like it. (laughs) Yes. A topic of conversation in the book world is frequently DNFing. Do not finish, did not finish. So is that something you do or do you read to the end of every book, whether you're liking it or not? Oh, I do not finish a lot. I, I, I am a big proponent of the do not finish. I, I also go by the 50 page rule. If it's, it hasn't grabbed me by 50 pages, then I'm out. There's just too many things to read out there. There's too, there are too many great books. And so I will very happily put one down. I am the same way. And I yeah. I didn't used to be, but I think when I really started doing all of this and with the volume, and like you said, there are just so many great books, I feel like, okay, maybe this isn't the book for me. Maybe other people will love it, but I just need to move on because I want to get to something that I'm going to enjoy more. Exactly. And you just took the word right out of my mouth. I, I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's not that it's a bad book, but if it's not the right book for me or just not the right book at the right time, because often I'll put something down and then a couple of years later, 
I'll go back to it. And it's, I enjoy it that much more. I think that's right. Sometimes it can just be wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. So you're working really far ahead. If you just turned in September, and I'm assuming you turned in seven or eight titles, you all are discussing which ones are going to be picked. When is it totally finalized? So it should be finalized within the next week. I'll write the column in a week or so, and then it'll be done. Um, And then we get to give the good news to the publicists, which is fun. And they send in the cover art to the magazine and so that they can do the photo shoot. That's one reason why this particular column has to work so far ahead is because we have to shoot the covers in a beautiful one page spread that I always love seeing. It's fun to see. And then I try, we try not to, this isn't necessarily policy, but we typically let the publicists know, they let the authors know, but we try to keep it to ourselves. It's embargoed until the on-sale date of the magazine. But it's fun when I can message an author and say, hey, I think you're in the running. So because the the magazine, the print magazine has 6 million monthly readers, but then with the digital side of the magazine, they will often cover the column as well. It's really about 22 million monthly eyes on the on the column. So that's huge for an author to get that kind of exposure, especially a debut. So that's something that I particularly love to do. Absolutely. I'm always a big proponent of debut authors or authors that only have a couple books out there and haven't made the New York Times list yet or whatever it's going to be. It's fun to talk about those and help highlight them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that is pretty amazing. Six million subscribers and then another however many that is, my math, 16 million people checking it out online. I would think that most authors, whether they're debut or well-established, would be thrilled to pieces to be picked. Absolutely. I know from my own work, writing my own books, the publicity part is the most nerve-wracking, hardest part, because there's just so much information being shot at us every day. It's like a fire hose. And also, as my agent always says, you know, there's a lot of good stuff on Netflix these days. It's hard to get people's attention. So anything that I can do to help a book get into the world makes it makes me so happy to do it. I agree with that completely. I just think it's so much fun to be able to talk about books all the time. Yes, it's a dream job for sure. Absolutely. Well, what happens when you have a month where you're struggling to fill all the slots? Does that ever happen to you? I'll be honest with you. It never happens. It never, ever happens. I'm trying to think. I can't say that it's ever happened. I really, I really don't think it has. Oh, that's great. How many books a week do you read? So I would say that I start a lot of books. Um, I mean, I probably start eight to 10 books a week, but I, I bet I read, fully read two to three a week is pretty standard. And then once I have my, I mean, there are occasions where I know, and this doesn't happen very often because I typically will read the whole book before I send in my proposed list. But there are occasions where if I just know that a book is perfect for us and I, the author is an established author and the trade reviews, like everything is aligning the way that it should, I will occasionally send in my proposal while I'm still reading the book, but I would never send in something that I haven't read. Yes, it's hard to recommend something if you haven't read it. No, 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 no. I would never do that ever, ever. But one of the things that I always say that surprises me about the podcast is how many authors say to me, you really read the book. And I'm like, well, of course I read the book. How could I interview you if I haven't read the book? But I guess some people don't. So I I guess it does make sense. But I'm glad that you do read them all if you're recommending them because you want to be able to stand behind what you're recommending. Oh, for sure. And I've had people say to me, do you really read all these books? I'm like, yes, this is my, this is the job. The job is to read the books. And, you know, for me, it's a dream. So why, you know, why wouldn't I? 
Do you listen to them? Do you read them digitally? Do you read them physically? What is your path? I read digitally and physically, and I wish I could get more of them on audio. I absolutely love audiobooks. Um, so what I tend to do is the books that I'm reading for real simple, I will read either on NetGalley or I'll get a physical copy. And it really doesn't matter to me which. I will occasionally be reading digitally a lot and I'll ask for a physical galley just to mix it up if I get sick of reading on my Kindle. But the audio, I tend to read for my own personal reading that I do for fun. So if there's a book that I missed or a book that's not right for the column that I'm interested in or a book that's not a new book, I will use the audio for that. So all of my work quote unquote, work reading is done either digitally or, or a, a galley. Well, and I didn't really think through that question when I was asking it, because so much of the audio doesn't come till much closer in publication time. So a lot of the books are probably not even on audio when you're trying to get them read. They're not. Unfortunately, I wish they were. But I do. I mean, I am happy to I occasionally will get the audio arcs through like uh, Libro. Yeah, I wish I could get everything on audio would make it that much easier for me to get more in, but absolutely. I'm like a audio listening at 1.5 or higher, just going through them. So I am not a huge audiobook listener because I'm a huge music listener. So a lot of the time, if I'm going to listen to something, it's music, but I do listen to audiobooks when I walk and, and sometimes in the car, but I almost always do exclusively nonfiction. But yes, I do it at like 1.8 or 1.9. Usually my husband's like, what is that when he hears it? I'm like, well, once you get used to the speed, it works great. And it is easier to get through it. And you could just be doing other stuff. For sure. Yeah. And like for audio, I tend to read, like, like you just said, I tend to listen to nonfiction. It's just easier to follow. I love listening to a good celebrity memoir on audio, especially when the person themselves is, is reading it. And I also love like a rom-com on audio that could nothing to like literary fiction where I really want to sink my teeth into it. And I really want to linger over the sentences or the beautiful language. I can't do that on audio. I want to read that. I think that's exactly right. And I much prefer physical books, but I do read digitally all the time just because sometimes the books aren't available or I can't get a hold of it or whatever it is. But books that are more complicated as well, that either have a map or have a ton of characters or things like that, I have to read physically because I can't stand trying to flip back and forth in an ebook when you're trying to see who somebody is or look at a map or whatever it is. I couldn't agree more, 100%. So what's your favorite part of this role? Oh, I mean, getting to read for a living is pretty great. My husband, during the pandemic, started working at home part-time, and he'll come upstairs in the afternoon and see me sitting on the couch reading, and he'll say, hard at work? And I'll say, yes, I am, actually. This is hard at work. <laughs> That's it. So, um, yeah, and getting to getting to read a wide range of authors is interesting and exciting for me. It's just a dream. I've been a bookworm, as I'm sure you are, since I was a little kid. I mean, I was always reading everything I could get my hands on. So um, it's wonderful to be able to do it for work. I always say I was that kid that would have the bedspread over me with the flashlight. You know, you see that in movies and stuff, but I literally did do that. I just read all the time. Oh, same. Yeah. And I was, I remember my grandmother was... Southern from South Carolina. And we would go down and visit my aunt and stay at my aunt's house. And I would be in the corner, like reading her magazine rack of catalogs. And my grandmother would say, that is one reading child. I was just always had my nose in a book or yeah, anything, anything. Cereal box didn't matter. I love that. I love that one reading child. That's cute. Yeah. Do you have a least favorite part? I mean, I wish we could pick more. I mean, having it to narrow it down to five is so hard. 
I'm sure you feel the same way with your work. Um, it's just hard to not be able to include everything I want to. That's the hardest part for sure. I always say that with the podcast. When I launched it twice a week, I thought, well, I hope I can fill all those slots. Like, I hope this isn't a mistake to do it twice a week. And now if I could, I would fill seven days a week. I mean, there are just so many great books out there and great authors to talk to, but there's no way I could do seven days a week. But two works great. And every once in a while, I'll push it to three if there's a book I love. But yes, it is hard. It's so hard. And having to tell a publicist who I've been back and forth with about if there's a book that I think is on the edge or that I pitch and doesn't get chosen for some reason, which doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while it does. If I've sort of given a publicist that a hint that the book's going to maybe go in and then I have to go back and say it's not, that's awful. I hate, I hate that happening. You led me into my next question because I was just going to ask you, how often does it happen that you have highlighted five and then you've got a couple extra there and your five aren't selected? I mean, obviously some of them are selected, but I mean that your all five of yours aren't selected. Yeah. I mean, it happens every once in a while. Maybe, I mean, if I had to guess, maybe it happens quarterly but not often. And I also, you know, I won't put a book on the alternate list if I don't think it's a really great one. So I guess on the one hand, I could see it as an opportunity to, you know, throw two more books on the list that might be a potential. It's a little bit of a bummer sometimes if I'm really excited about a particular book that doesn't go in. Like, for instance, I think it was a couple of years ago, I absolutely loved Marrying the Ketchups by Jennifer Close. Yes, me too. Yes. And I had that one on the list and it didn't go in trying to think of others. And I always want to be able, I wish I could go back to the authors and say, I had this on the list, (laughs) but you know, who wants to hear that? Like you could have, would have, should have, but you know, can't get, can't get them all in there. You can't, unfortunately. Yes, exactly. Do you ever have a time when you turn in seven or eight and then something that wasn't on your list goes in? Never. Nope. Okay. That's good. I'm just so curious how these things work behind the scenes. And then you also mentioned, this is what I wanted to talk about for sure, is the graphic, the beautiful photo spread that is done for each of yours. I just love looking at those and seeing what all is included. And it's just so well done. And I was curious how it came about. So the art department is is fully responsible for the way that the page looks. And I have nothing to do with it, but I'm always so excited to see the page when it comes out because it always just looks so enticing and beautiful. They do. I always enjoy seeing them. In addition to what you pick, I always enjoy seeing what you pick and sharing it. But then I also enjoy seeing what the photo spread is going to look like. Thank you. Me too. Me too. It's always a surprise. And it's fun to see them together. Um, just uh, I have a like on my Instagram page where I have them sort of like in a grid. It's fun to see month to month how they change and how they give it kind of a seasonal feel, depending on the time of the year, that kind of thing. I agree. But then they also tie together and that you really see that when you look at it on your Instagram page, I think. Yeah. Do you want to tell people your Instagram handle as well? I would love to. So my Instagram is my full name, which is Kristen Cusack Lewis. Why don't you spell that out just so everybody has it? And I'll also include it in my show notes when this episode runs. Sure. It's Kristen. It's K-R-I-S-T-Y-N Cusack, K-U-S-E-K Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. Great. That way people can find you and and see your selections as well in an easy manner. I would love that. Wonderful. Have you felt that your approach has changed at all over time? I don't think so. We've had a pretty good system going. It's been exciting to see over the past year or two, because of the popularity of the column, we've been able to increase the column to a couple of pages a few times a year, whereas in the past, that would typically only happen 
perhaps in the summer or in December, occasionally both. But now we're we're upping the page count to two pages whenever we can, which is great. And as you said, gives you the opportunity to highlight more books. Yes, yes, which is so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. You have written four books. Are you still writing now for novels or are you just focusing on Real Simple at the moment? I am writing. For a while during the pandemic, when my last book came out, it was June 2020. So right when we were in the thick of it. And after that, I just felt like I wanted a break. I was starting this new job with Real Simple. And I didn't really feel the desire to write a book at the time. Now I am starting to write daily once again. I have some characters. I don't quite know what they're doing yet, but I'm really excited about the characters. And one thing that this job with Real Simple has given me is just a tremendous education in terms of what's out there, different writing styles, that kind of thing. It's been great for my writing to be doing the huge volume of reading that I've done over the past few years with Real Simple. I love that you keep leading me into my questions because I literally was getting ready to ask you, do you feel like this role at Real Simple has influenced the way you write or giving you, as you said, an education? And it sounds like you think the answer is yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's also really helped me see, and I don't think that these are, well, I know that these things are not intentional, but it's been interesting to see over the years, just the landscape of trends um, in terms of plot. And, you know, I know as an author that when I sit down to write a book, I'm not thinking about the market or sales. I'm thinking about the characters. My books are really character driven. So I'm thinking about the characters and I'm thinking about where the story is going to go. I'm not thinking down the line to when I'm actually trying to sell the book. But it's been interesting as a reader doing this job for real simple to see when these trends almost seem to happen accidentally. Like, there seems to be like, sometimes there are these trends with, I'm trying to think of a good example. There's a trend with thrillers set in like boarding school kind of environments or, you know, certain plot lines that you start to see over and over again. So it's, it's been helpful in a lot of ways, but that's one of the big ones is just seeing the types of books that are out there. I find it fascinating when those trends bubble to the surface with people not even knowing they're both writing about it or multiple people are writing about it. Like the spring, the concept of home. There are so many books about what has happened when children were taken from their homes for whatever reason, raised someplace else for a little while and then returned and how difficult it is to go back to your original life and what happens. And that has been in like four or five books this spring. And it's just so interesting to see when things like that bubble up unintentionally. Totally. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, it really makes you wonder like how that happens, but yeah, I've seen the same thing and it's so interesting. And as you probably know, I'm a huge cover person. So do you judge books by covers? Yeah, I do. I'd be lying if I said I didn't, but yes, I do. I remember when my first book came out and it was during the time when there were a lot of novels coming out that featured the back of a woman's head. Do you remember that era? Yes. And I remember saying to my editor, you know, anything is okay with me, but I just do not want to see the back of the woman's head on my book. And it ended up being a pair of shoes and a broken plate. So I didn't get the back of the head, but I got the feet and stuff. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, in historical fiction, there are still a lot of back of the heads. I mean, they're definitely moving away from it. 2023 has been better. 
but still I feel like, oh my gosh, like let's just do something different. It is. Or you start to see the same fonts over and over again. But then when a really beautiful cover comes out, I mean, it just hits you like a ton of bricks, doesn't it? Like I remember when I saw Hello Beautiful, the cover for that one the first time. I mean, some of them are just stunning. They are stunning. And talk about a book that I loved. Hello Beautiful was so good. Oh my gosh. It was unbelievable. Gorgeous. It really was. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear, Kristen, what you personally recommend, what you have read recently and want people to be reading. Okay. So it's hard to know where to start because there are so many. So a book that I love, that's just a very sweet, charming read, and it's a debut author. It's coming out on May 2nd. um, So tomorrow, given when we're talking, it's called Late Bloomers by Deepa Veradarajan. And it's about an Indian American family. And the matriarch has decided after decades of marriage that she's done with the marriage and she's going to leave her husband. She wants an independent life. And so it opens with uh, she has just left recently and the husband is trying online dating for the first time and their two adult children are struggling in their own lives. But it's just a sweet, charming, funny story that also gets to sort of wanting our independence, trying to figure out how the lives we had match the lives we want, all of those sorts of themes. Um, It's a great one. And then a book that I'm really excited about that's coming out this summer is Little Monsters by Adrienne Brodeur. Um, She wrote Wild Game, like hugely popular memoir that came out a few years ago. Um, This is a gorgeous summer novel that's coming out at the end of June. It's set on Cape Cod, so it's going to draw a lot of comparisons to, say, Paper Palace, because it's also a family drama, but it's very different. Um, And I just, I loved it. I'm not even sure I've heard of the second one. I've heard great things about the first one, and I haven't gotten to it yet. But I haven't even heard of Little Monsters. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, I loved it. That's one of my favorite books that I've read for summer reading. Okay, good. I always love reading for summer reading and compiling a summer reading list. It's my favorite thing to do. It's so fun. Yeah. Well, another one that I just read that's coming out in the fall is called The Hike by Lucy Clark. And if you just want like a really entertaining suspense story, which sometimes that's exactly what I'm in the mood for. Like I love that at the end of a long week to just get a great thriller. The Hike by Lucy Clark. She's hugely popular in the UK. And one of her novels, which I am blanking on the name of, is being turned into a Paramount Plus series. But this is a book about kind of a girl's trip that goes awry. And it's a destination thriller set in the mountains in Norway. And it's just like beautiful writing, but also just fun. And the characters are relatable. It has a lot of twists and turns you don't see coming. I really liked her book last year, One of the Girls Set in Greece. Yes, 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 yes. Thought it was very well done. Yes. And then the last one I'll give you is also coming out in the fall. It's called Everything, Nothing, Someone. Um, It's a memoir written by Alice Carrier. uh, I don't know if she pronounces it Carrier. It's C-A-R-R-I-E-R-E. And it is a memoir unlike anything you've read before. It is searing portrait of her childhood growing up in the 1990s in New York. Her mother is a very famous, renowned artist, Jennifer Barnett, and her father was a, um, he's a, a European film star. She had a childhood where there was a lot of, well, it's really like a, it's like a, a girl interrupted kind of a story. 
And it's not an easy story to read, but it's one of the most visceral portraits of mental health struggles that I've ever read. And it's ultimately kind of a heroine story and how she made her way through it. And she has a wonderful life now, but it's just wild. Is that a Spiegel and Grau title? Yes. Okay. I think it just arrived here. And that's what's making me think that because I really have enjoyed their books that I have read so far, but I wasn't sure if that was going to be too dark for me because sometimes I'm kind of a wimp, but that's good to hear that it's really good. Yeah. Well, these are great recommendations, Kristen, and I'm so glad that we got to actually chat with each other because we've communicated on Instagram and I followed you and I just love seeing what you pick. So I'm so glad you came on the show. Yes. Well, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. And as I told you, I, I think that I have, I have some friends who are huge fans of yours as well. So I was thrilled to be able to do it and for us to connect this way. It's been fun. That made my day when you told me that you had met up with a friend and she was talking about the podcast. I was like, oh, how fun is that? Thank you. Oh, yeah. She's a childhood friend. I've known her since I was a, since we were little at summer camp together. And she lives in Colorado. I'm in Arlington, Virginia. And she was in town and we were just talking and she was like, oh, you know, Cindy from Thoughts from a Page. So, um, yeah, we were going on and on about you. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. 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 Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.